Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a bottoms-up Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Normally I'd be chattering about minor league games now, but COVID-19 stopped that. Nonetheless, players are developing and that development will catapult the Cubs past the Cardinals and the Brewers or watch them sink below the Pirates and the Reds or some combination thereof. This podcast is about examining what I consider a value. Your calls to the contest line are always welcomed. Today's podcast is Bring Back the First Year Draft. Now try to make it worth your time investment. I love ideas. I love ideas. I love questions. I love questions that don't have ready answers. Something that, hmm, okay. I'm going to have to think about that for a while. And when you think about it for a while, hopefully you get back to me. Because I'm interested, you know, when it's a tough, when it's an easy answer, eh, not interested. Like the, never bunt. Well, okay. What if I bring up an example where bunting is a good idea? Oh, well, I didn't mean that. Well, you said never. Okay. What I'm interested in, what I enjoy is come up with an idea, and run it in a fashion that hasn't been run before. Now, perhaps you've noticed, it's been kind of kind of quiet on Twitter, um, owners and players are complaining about each other. It's really amusing. Trevor Bauer, Jack Flaherty, uh, Sean Doolittle, there are a number of players that are kind of getting out there about voicing their displeasure about some of the things that owners are doing. And, of course, on the other side, there are probably some things that the players are doing that aren't particularly kosher, whatever. Um, What I'd like to start to do is, if we were to throw away everything, and instead of it being Major League Baseball, it would be, oh, professional affiliated baseball. So the the stuff that has happened before doesn't necessarily carry over. We carry over the things that work, but not the things that don't work. So I'm not looking at stuff like, um, let's go with the pitchers hitting in all the games, or let's go with universal DH. I, given the option, I'd kind of go for universal DH, but that's not what I'm talking about here because that ends up getting to... um, Emotional, emotionally driven. I want ideas that can do a couple of things. One, help the younger players get paid. That Younger players being prospects, uh, draft picks, things that help to get younger players paid. Players in the Dominican Republic still who signed a $10,000 bonus and they're making $400 a month for the season of through the season, and nothing after. What I want to do is I want the players who are not the millionaires to get paid more. Now, if the millionaires get paid more, that's fine, too. I really don't have a problem with that. Some of you probably do, but I don't particularly mind if whatever uh, Bryce Harper makes in a season. Fine, whatever. It was a mutually agreed. Both sides were good with it, so I'm, I'm fine. What what I'm trying to figure out is ways that we can get the players who aren't filthy rich 
to get paid better. One idea someone had mentioned before, and I kind of like it. This is along the lines of what I'm talking about. There is an un- amount for a uh, qualified offer. I think it's what the top 25, the average of the top 25 salaries or top 20 salaries in the league, something like that. Usually it's been in the 18, 19 million dollar range, something like that, give or take. So uh, if a player is up for free agency, you can offer them the, give them the qualified offer and the player can accept it or deny it. And then if they deny it, then they're, um, they become a free agent. But it's not about, my idea is not about that. It's with the qualified offer number, whatever that is, when you get to the qualified offer, that's when you're at six point plus years. So for instance, uh, the Chris Bryant thing. He was at five point however many days, or he will have been at five point however many days, after this season, so he won't be eligible for free agency, but if he were at 6.00 years, he would be eligible. So what this is looking at is the players leading up to the 6.00 year. Someone had the idea, let's just say the qualifying offer number is 18 million. It makes it easy. After, when a player is at the one point fraction season, a team can either give him one-sixth of the qualifying offer number, which would be $3 million, or let him go as a free agent. Rather easy. If a guy's good, if the player is someone that you want to have around for up to another five years, $3 million, that seems a reasonable amount to hang on to him. And as the years go by, it gets to be a tougher decision because the number gets a little bit higher. But what that ends up doing is the players get paid as they go. And probably you could toss out arbitration. Uh, yeah, you could probably toss out arbitration that way because it would pretty much cancel out arbitration. If a guy gets up to the four plus year thing, well, do you want to give him $12 million for this year or do you want to let him walk? Either's fine. If you want to give him the $12 million, give him the $12 million. If you want to let him walk, let him walk. Either's fine. Go with it. So that's the kind of idea I'm looking for. I want to come up with things that are going to get the payers, players paid more, especially de- the developing players, and not give the Yankees or the Red Sox a huge advantage over the Indians or the Marlins. Because it's ridiculous to have teams that realistically don't have a chance to win. Similarly, it's ridiculous to reward incompetence. Now, if you have a bad season, I can understand you getting the good draft pick. But that shouldn't necessarily be a thing where teams are, as the Cubs and Astros did for a while, well, now we don't really want to try. We're just going to wait until our good players get to the point where they're good enough to be in the major leagues and we'll just send out a really uh, substandard team and lose a whole bunch of games and get a bunch of early draft picks. And, hey, we're really good now. It's not a surprise. When you have players who are really good in their pre-arbitration years, your team's going to be good. 
if you don't have those kind of players, you're probably going to struggle. It's easy to understand why. So what I want to do is try to figure out some things that it's not that the ownership would say, yay, this is a wonderful idea, or the players would say, this is an absolute godsend, but something that will help the younger players get paid more and not make it a huge advantage to be the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs as opposed to one of the clubs that doesn't have a big fan base. Okay, I think I pretty much explained that away. Now, back in the 1960s, it might have started in the late 50s, but it was definitely going in the early 60s, and it created effectively the draft. Teams, some teams, the Yankees, were very good about going out to sign free agents, young free agents. Not, you know, it, this wasn't Kurt Flood time yet. The free agency was only for the young players. Once, once you signed, you once you signed with the parent, parent club, you were their property. Okay, but in 1961-1962-1963-possibly-in-the-1964-but-not-by-1965-by-1965-the-league-had-decided-to-go-with-the-draft-which-pretty-much-eliminated-the-need-for-the-first-year-player-draft-what-would-happen-with-the-first-year-player
you know, getting ready. And the coach came over and said, um, Kurt, you can't play today. It's kind of, kind of like a, a twist on the uh, Moneyball story. You know, Kurt, you can't play today because Oakland's, uh, Baltimore signed you. Baltimore had signed Moten to a contract in the Rule 5. No, not the Rule 5 draft. The first year player draft. So they'd seen enough of him in his first year to decide, yeah, we want him in our organization and we're willing to pay an amount to add him to our organization. That was what the first year player draft was back then. And to an extent, I want to bring it back. First year player draft actually has a lot of validity to it. What it forces a team to do is decide which guys are the real ones and which guys would you be willing to accept? I don't know what would be an appropriate fee. I would think twenty or $25,000 would be reasonable. So if you have a guy who you're kind of interested in him, but you're not really willing to put him on the list, and someone offers you $25,000 for him, that seems reasonable, especially since the uh, maximum for um, players who aren't in the top five will now be $20,000. So, you know, there, there's there's a severe intention to push the numbers down. Um, if somebody wants to say, I kind of like your idea, but I want the number to be higher to prevent the teams from doing it so much, or I want it to be lower, I, I, I'm kind of flexible on it. But uh, the first part of the idea is bring back the first-year player draft so everybody, whether it's a, you saw a kid in the Dominican... And he's eligible because it was his first year playing pro ball in the Dominican. It's like, hey, we kind of like this guy. Now, what's that fee? You know, $10,000, $30,000, $60,000, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's pay that amount and get him because he's not on the list and we're interested. We want this guy. Let's pay the amount. So it's it would be rather easy to do. Everyone submits a list. And everyone has three or four weeks to look at the list. And after everyone looks at the list, you either go down in draft order or possibly, this would even be better, um, you can have teams offer an amount um, and the player gets to choose. So let's say the amount is $60,000. It can be 60000 to 100000 and the player gets to choose which team he wants to go to. Something along those lines. Yeah, again, I, I'm up in the air, but there, there are a couple things I haven't gotten into yet which are really important. But uh, the basic premise is the team goes through the first year, and they have to decide which guys they want to put on the list. Now, the list, I don't know how long it should be or how long it would be, But I want there to be a specific number of players that can be on the list because I don't want the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs to be able to say, okay, we're going to put everybody on our list. We have 60 guys that debuted in in pro baseball last year, and all 60 of them are on our list. And I, I wouldn't mind the players getting that money, but which I'll get to in a second, but Team, I, I don't want teams to use the first-year player draft as a 
the Yankees or the Red Sox or the, you know, who, whoever it is, can go out and buy whatever they want. I don't want it to be that. I want it to be something where the players who one organization is overlooking can be easily poached by another organization. So you have the list, probably 10, 15 players long, and it's only of players who were debuting in pro baseball that season. So let's jump it forward to 2024. The 2024 Cubs list would be up to 15 players who debuted as professionals for the Cubs that year for whatever reason. Maybe they got them out of an indie league. Maybe they got them out of the Dream League. Whatever it is. They were first year... Um, first year in their, in affiliated baseball, and you have a certain number of players that you can quote unquote protect. Now, here's the part I like. Here's the part I like. The other, the other part, you, you can you can debate this or that or the other thing. Okay, here's the part I like. If you put a player on the list, fifteen names, ten names, whichever, they go into a different level of minor league pay. So let's say you have your normal list where it's, if you're at A-ball, you get 400 a month. If you're in advanced A, you get 500 a month. If you're in, then you get, you have, based on which level you're in and how many years you've been at that level, your pay is completely determined by what level you're in and how many years you've been at that level. That's how minor league salaries work. You might not like it, but that's how it works. So you, you have one rate of pay. It doesn't matter if a player was a 18th round draft pick or a first round draft pick. When Heston Kerstead, the second the second pick in the draft, is playing in double A ball his first time through, he'll be getting paid exactly the same amount per month, per week, per whatever, as someone else on his team. Exactly the same. The players all get paid the same. It's all just a matter of what level they're at. And the only asterisk there would be if the guy's repeating the level, then he would get paid a bit of a higher rate. But with my my idea, you have those 10 or 15 guys that... Oh, we got to protect this guy. What about that guy? I don't know. No, we have to protect that guy. So you have this list of 10 or 15 guys every year that you're trying to decide, do we want to prevent someone else from signing this guy at a rather reasonable rate? Usually, if a player actually looks like he might be a good prospect at some point down down the line, you'll want to keep him. So you'll have that list, however long it is, 10 names, 15 names, you'll probably fill it up. Whether it's guys that were drafted in the draft, whether it's guys who did well after being signed after the draft, or perhaps they're international signees. So you get a guy like uh, um, uh, Montero. Um, Blast. I'm not remembering his darn name. Uh, Cubs are going to sign Christian Hernandez in, a, in about two or three weeks. When they sign Christian Hernandez, they're going to want to keep him. So at the end of the year, if the Rule Five, dra- the first-year player draft were in play, at the end of the year, Christian Hernandez, he'd be on the list. This November, this December, whenever the draft would be, whenever the names would be submitted, Ed Howard would be on the list. 
He just would be. Burl Caraway on the list. The guys that are of value, they're on the list. They're the, the ones who you expect to be long-term plays into the future, they're on the list. And you get to choose up to eh, 10, 15 guys per team per year. And then the rest of the guys that are first-year players are not on the list. So since they're not on the list, other teams have the opportunity to claim them. Now, when they claim them, it's an amount, you know, however much the fee is, the fee goes from the receiving team to the surrendering team. So if the Cubs lose a player to the Orioles, the Orioles pay the Cubs a fee and the Orioles get the player. Direct. And when the player goes from the Cubs system to the Orioles system, the question then becomes, how much should the player going from the Cubs system to the Orioles system get paid? So let's say the, the fee for a level is advanced A, you're getting 500 a month regular. And if you are a player who, after your first year was included on the list, your next three full seasons, you get an, ex- an increased rate of pay. So instead of at advanced A, the regular rate of pay is 500 a month, the player who was on the list instead gets 800 a month. So if a player is impressive, they get paid more. That's how it should be. If you're doing your job well, you should be getting paid more not, well, we have one script rate of pay, and because you're at advanced A ball, that's what you're... I'd like to see players who are doing well getting paid more, because then it <laughs> helps them to be able to eat in the off season. So, okay, you have the normal player who wasn't included on the list. He's making 500 a month. You have the player who was included on the list. He, for his first three years, would be getting the higher rate or 800 a month at the advanced A level. You dig? Okay, so now the Orioles bought the rights to this one player from the Cubs. He tr- switches over to Baltimore's system. Now, how much should he get paid? Because he's obviously more impressive than some of the players who weren't selected. He's also less impressive, probably, than most of the players who were on the list, whether it was the Cubs list or the Phillies list or the Giants list or the Red Sox list. So you have the player, the the standard rate is 500. You have the player who is on the list who gets paid 800. Now, the player who switches from one organization to another there are a number of different ways you can decide his pay. You could say it; he, he should only get 500 because owners win, yay, 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 rich people keep all the money. Or you can say, hmm, I like the 800 number. 800 number is pretty cool because, you know, it's, since the Orioles are stepping him up, he should get the whole 800. Or he could get somewhere in between. I, I wouldn't mind the 700 number. So what you're ending up with is 
different players at the minor league levels are getting paid more based on how well they've performed. Huh, that's a flippin' novel concept. It's not in play now, but if the first-year player draft would be brought back and some discussion would go on and some people would think and discuss things, it would be an option, no. Have the player who, hmm, he's actually doing kind of well. Have him get paid more than the player who is um, six and a half ERA at 24 years old in the Midwest League. That guy, I'd be good with him getting paid more regardless what it would be, but uh, I'd rather the players who are doing well. There have been a number of players who they didn't dislike minor league baseball. They just couldn't afford it anymore. They weren't getting paid enough. They, they decided, you know, I got to go off and do my other gig. I got to do, do something else because this, this isn't going to pay the bills. Be nice if it did. And just why it's so nice when you have players like David Bodie who make it, who uh, not only did he try hard, but his wife was heavily invested in him getting... There were a number of times the stories are told that he was contemplating giving it up, and his wife would say something along the lines of, no, no, you're not going to quit because we've worked too hard for this. Not you've worked too hard. We've. Because the uh, the wife, the girlfriend, she's as pot committed to advancing the player's career as he is. Sometimes. Sometimes more. There are a whole bunch of players who, you know, I don't know if it's worth it. And if there was a bit more pay in minor league baseball, then probably there would be uh, a bit less um, <sighs> discontent. I think that's the word I'm looking for. You're... Uh, when, when a team decides they want to give a player a go, it would be nice if he gave it the entire amount of time necessary to find out if he was good enough or not. Um, for some players, that's a really short jaunt. You know, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, some players go really quickly, but most of them, it doesn't work like that. They have to get used to each level. Javier Baez, he was terrible in the Northwest League. He was terrible at the start in the Florida State League. He struggled early in the um, Southern League. I think he struggled at the start in the Pacific Coast League, too. It's, it's, a, it's a development process, and if players had just a bit more, it would be nice that... Uh, if they knew that they were going to be able to eat in the off season and you know eat well in the off season and be able to train in the off season and not have to take a job as a deli at a deli in a grocery or um, being an Uber driver or driving for Federal Express or whatever, um, pro athletes ought to be pro athletes. That they ought to be paid well enough so that that's what they're doing. And to an extent. Bringing back the first-year draft with the adjustments that I've mentioned would seem to, A, pay the, pay, pay the players better on their way up, and B, not make it impossible for a team like Cleveland or, you know, pick, pick, your, pick your small, St. Louis, that's a real small market, you know, whatever. 
small market all the way from Arkansas to New Mexico, halfway through Illinois, cutting off most of Texas. Yeah, that's a real small small market, minuscule. But um, like Milwaukee, they don't have a huge market, and uh, something like that. If you have a team that does have an incredibly deep farm system, if you have some good scouts, they could decide, hey, let's get this guy from Boston, this guy from Arizona, this guy from San Francisco, and this guy from the Marlins because they're a bunch of idiots. So, yeah, I, I, I think that would make for a better baseball product, and I don't think it would cut too heavily into ownership's money that they're making regardless what method we're going by. So yeah, if you want to respond to my idea, you can either call into the contest line or hit me up on Twitter at Tim815. Um, that they, I spend a bunch of time there every day. So yeah, if you want to ask me a question or push the... Uh, I, I already have a thread on it at uh, on Twitter. But no, if you want to discuss the um, bringing back the first-year player draft, discuss it on Twitter, call the contest line. Just uh, I, I imagine since I've done a podcast on it and I've done a thread on it, I'll probably do an article for uh, Bleed Cubby Blue on it in a week or so. But it, it seems like an idea that... It doesn't look like it's cutting too, chiseling too heavily away from anything, but it makes, but it gets the players who are doing well paid better. And that's kind of the entire idea. So call me, uh, contact me if you have any questions and, or if you have any ideas of your own, how about we do this? What about how maybe we should do that? Uh, I, I love ideas and I, my idea isn't finalized. I have a whole bunch of things that are still up in the air. And I have a number of people that I hope they comment on it on Twitter because they're a lot smarter at that stuff than I am. But if if you have an idea as far as perhaps this might be a way to get the payers, the, the players and the miners paid better, or maybe this is a way to more equitably d- disperse talent or... Whatever it is, I, I love ideas and I like questions that don't have a pat answer. You have a nice day. Be safe and be nice to people.